Welcome, everyone, to the Two Tongues Podcast. Consider this your invitation to join Kyle and Chris on a journey through our minds. Where we explore the questions that have fascinated us for as long as we can remember. Could anarchy actually work? Does God exist? And just how did the cosmos get here anyway? Let me be the Virgil to your Dante, the Sacagawea to your Lewis and Clark. Let's take the guided tour through the dark chambers of our unconscious, seeking answers to the most important and unsettled questions of our shared existence. Ready or not, here we go. Sitar music, Josh. Sitar music. Yes. Nice Indian flair. Yeah, just, just just fade it down and let it play into your subconscious. That's enough of that. <laughs> All right, there we are. Well, hello. Welcome back for another episode of the Two Tongues Podcast. We've got two tongues coming at you today in the house. However, not the traditional pairing. Kyle's not here today. I would like to welcome back my buddy Josh. So you guys may remember Josh was on the podcast uh, episode called Faith, Fringe, and Freedom. And uh, Josh was kind enough to come visit me from another city. So uh, we, we hung out yesterday. We had a nice dinner. We had a nice time. And uh, we wanted to put something on the on the recording today. Good to be here again, but better in the flesh than on the phone. Yeah, yeah, it works. It works a little bit better that way. <laughs> now we did uh, we did Bluetooth in my brother for all the times he was on the podcast, and oh, okay. uh, and it worked out pretty well. Kind of got better at it as after that was we, was mine was the first time, right? Your, yours was the first time, yeah, yeah. Okay. So we had a little bit more practice. We also had another guy on the podcast. We had a guest that Kyle. Uh, somebody reached out to Kyle. I, I assume you you probably don't know this one, but I'll tell you. I think I do. Oh, you do know. I think the white supremacist yes, fella. I listened to <laughs> you did. Oh, okay, no wait. I listened to you guys talking about various arguments he made, but I actually no, I did not go back and listen to the actual interview with him because I was so excited that you guys even had that on there. I thought it was really funny. Yeah, absolutely. Really uh, neat. Probably probably a pretty interesting encounter. It was, and it was scary in the sense that uh, I didn't know where it was going to go. I knew that the guy was. He was a white supremacist, like self, um, uh, you know, that's what he's, that's how he identifies. Like, I, I'm, a, I'm a white supremacist. But he was also a, like a libertarian anarchist kind of guy. Interesting. So Kyle thought that he would have some interesting, might have some interesting things to say about that. But as it turned out, when he started talking, he said, like, hey, societies have trouble because of diversity. And so if we're going to have any kind of a functioning government, we, it, should, it would be best if we were as homogenous as possible. So even his political take was like, hey, we need to divide wow. up by race so that, we can, so that we have a better chance of survival and you know, that kind of thing. Wow. So we never even got into politics because I couldn't stop talking to him about his thoughts on race. Wow. That makes sense, though. I can see why that would have been, been exciting and something he would have wanted to jump into more. And he was a nice enough guy, man. That's the thing. And when I pushed him on the on the racism stuff, and I did not not maybe as hard as I as I might have, but when I did, he didn't like. It was an interesting conversation, Josh. That's all I can. That's all I can say. He also belched into the microphone like, th- on three <laughs> oh different occasions. Goodness. 
That's so funny. Yeah, and we and we laugh about that. And then my brother did it when we were doing an interview with him. So, <laughs> shout out to Josh. Yeah, there you go. The other one. <laughs> the other, the other Josh. Yeah, the other Josh. So you were admiring my uh, my liquid vitamin B yes. just a minute ago. So I want to tell you, I did you ever see those Coca Colas? I think they stopped making them. At least I haven't seen them in a while. But they were making these cokes that were energy drinks. Not I do remember those, one. yeah. Not the coffee ones, but the ones that were just like B vitamins and guarana and caffeine. Yeah, I remember those. So I st- I bought a case of them because I bought one at the grocery store one time and it was it, it perked me up. Like mm-hmm. I noticed it. I was yeah. like, some something in this is is good. It turns out it's vitamin B. Oh, nice. So yeah. so I got the liquid vitamin B, and rather than drinking the Coke, I'll put some of this under my tongue and I will feel better yes it's amazing yeah it perks me up uh, i feel sprightly and my eyes feel a little bit more open mm-hmm. you know what I most mean? people are severely deficient in b vitamins and b vitamins most people yeah where are they coming from nutritionally um oh goodness that's a good one it's been a while it is in a lot of leafy green veggies mm. it's actually in like like it's in kale as as one of the places yeah um, you know what? I don't eat as much kale as I used to. I used to juice it. <laughs> well, now I'm going to do it too. So have at it, man. Have at it. It's supposed to hold it under your tongue for 30 seconds. So, okay. so while Josh is waiting, he's going to be silent for 30 seconds. So I'll tell you this. So Josh drove two and a half hours to see me. Um, we uh, we went o- around the corner to this nice little spot for dinner last night. Um, had had a couple of a uh, couple of bourbons. Mm-hmm. And we had uh, we you know we stayed stayed up all night chatting like like little girls. I say all night, but listen, I'm 36 years old. Josh is a little older than me, so we didn't we didn't make it to midnight. But that was all night as far as I'm concerned. Um, also, we had an interesting conversation with uh, a speakerphone conversation with Josh's sister yesterday, who informed me that she is a Christian and a witch. Right, and that's pretty interesting. That's the first time. What was interesting to me is it was the first time she said, "Oh, I believe in God and Christ and death and resurrection, all this stuff." And I was like, "Yesterday, she said that." Yeah, but on that speakerphone. Was the, that was the first time she said it to you. That was the first time I've ever heard her say wow. it out loud before she was active and things like that. When my niece was very young, which is thirteen years ago or something. Yeah. So it was interest, interesting to hear her say that, much to the same way that. When she's talking about all the other stuff, and I kind of giggled and said, "You and Dad have no idea the amount of conversations that I've heard you talk about, that you got all excited about, that I have done equal, if not more, research in, and you have no idea that I even care about, know about, or have researched it." So, does your sister bring those topics to your dad, or does your dad bring those topics to your sister? I've I've seen both. Okay, um, but it, one of the ways that where they reconnected was on some of those things. Mm. Um, and yeah, they would just like to sit and talk about that. You know, ancient aliens was kind of the entry level. Mm-hmm. Dad had us watch all those uh, UFO stuff, and yeah. I've always been interested in that stuff. And and that just kept going. I mean, it was, it was very much a part of our life. Very very sci fi and fringe. You know, this this interesting um, to interesting to talk about that and and. How does that connect to the origin of the species? Does it mm. at all? That oh, yeah. kind of thing. So we we were kind of grew up in that. Let, let me interject one thing about UFOs since you brought that up. Do you, you remember the um, Betty and Barney White story? The like the first abduction story. It was the couple in the sixties. Black, yes. black husband, white yes. wife. Yes. Um, so I just 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 wanted you to know. 
Joe Rogan had a, a lady on, a, on his podcast, a fighter. And after they did their two hours, three hours of conversation, then she tells him she's Betty and Barney White's granddaughter. What? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, my god! And, he, and he's a UFO freak anyway. Sure, of course. And, yes. And like, we could have had a whole different podcast. Oh what are you doing? Goodness, that is so crazy. <laughs> and she's a UFC fighter. Isn't that amazing? That is. A UFO fighter. <laughs> so why So why is it that your dad or Becky never like brought you into those conversations? Why were you left out of those conversations? Honestly, because they assumed that I was a diehard, dogmatic, Christian good boy that would have no thought other than what the word says. That's interesting. That I somehow would have be so naive to anything outside of the paradigm mm. of Christianity and biblical teaching mm. and theological seminary type stuff. They yep. just they seemed to have this assumption that ah he won't be he won't think about that stuff. Ah he won't care about that stuff. And so I would see them have the conversation and and, and there was no jealousy. It was kind of like, oh, this is really cool that this is how they're kind of reconnecting on some some level. And how interesting is it that as an observation, me watching it, it certainly was something they had to have together. So I I think for that reason, there's a very clear I shouldn't interject because it's there. You didn't want to steal it from them. Yes. Uh, I felt like there was, this is so awesome to watch them do it, but almost this internal giggle of, they don't even know that I care about and think about the same exact things. And and I only got to talk to my dad a little bit about that similar stuff over the years. And he was like, he kind of shot his head back and was like, didn't say anything, but you could totally tell that he's like, I can't believe I never knew you cared about this stuff. Yeah, that is interesting. So I think it was more of a, I don't want to steal that from them because that's kind of their reconnecting uh, cord. You know, that's the commonality they're finding in you know, rediscovering a, a healthier and, and, and well-balanced, better relationship. Hey, man, that's great. I, if I were in your position, I don't think I would have been able to help <clears throat> help myself from getting in on that. And I would have felt a little jealous and I would have felt a little slighted. There was a little bit. I will admit there was a little bit of that in the early days. In the early, yeah. Because when it would happen in the early days prior to sort of me dealing with those daddy issues it became very jealous like how dare they have a good relationship now mm. they shouldn't they were the worst mm. he used to drag her you know there was be whatever like i used to how dare they be good now because i'm sitting here salty like i'm not so so prior to 25 when that would happen because that's actually the year that i was transformed by all that stuff or out of that stuff so it was certainly what happened before that i felt very slighted and indignant and like yeah, you know. Well, you know, it's it's a sign of maturity. My sister says something that I absolutely love. She says to her youngest daughter, and I'm going to butcher it. So Jenna, you have to you have to correct me on this. Uh, something like this, she says, you you have to fill other people's cup, mm. fill the fill their cup, don't empty their cup. And the analogy works really well for her daughter to understand at her age. She's six. She just just turned six years old. Where. If you if you get jealous as a kid because somebody else has something and you and you don't have something and you feel those negative feelings because you want it for yourself right those stereotypical jealousy feelings, my sister would step into her to her daughter and say, rather than treating this person bad and 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 wanting what they have for yourself, be happy that they have it. Fill her cup up. Don't don't dump it out. Mm. Fill her cup up. Yes. And that's that's. I mean, it's connected to the story you just told, but it's brilliant. I love, I love that. Um, not that I've adopted using it, but I need to with my own girls. I wonder if it, um, 
Well, and I noticed even just so for we you guys heard on the podcast that I was here. We all grew up together. That included his sister. Followed us around, annoyed the crap out of us. Many times was just as engaged, and we had fun together all together. It was just yep. sometimes where it was like, "Hey, guy, we just want to be with guys and you know get out of here." But she was very much in the mix of most get of what we were getting into. She, yeah, most of the shenanigans she was kind of in on, and so I ended up reconnecting with her because we live in a similar city, and both of our kids played soccer, and so. Um, the point I'm getting to is where the cup may have come from is because then I started to notice, wait, she's actually very active in in a local church there that I am familiar with. I've been around. I've been around the people that go there. And I thought, how interesting that um, we all came from sort of a similar beginning and are all in different aspects of that. But um, there is a concept in, in, it was, I think, a Christian psychologist. I don't remember the name, but... He talks about the five love languages, and it talks about it talks about um, filling their tank Mm. with what one they need. And so, words of encouragement, words uh, words of affirmation, actually not encouragement, Mm. words of affirmation, uh, time spent, so being physically with you, uh, uh, words of affirmation, time spent, uh, gifts, acts of service, and physical touch. Yep. Oh, thank God! I thank God I remembered them. Like I was really, I'm really grateful I remembered all five of those because that would have been worse if I couldn't. But I wonder if that may be um, where that came from. Except it just became fill their cup. Yeah, that's you know? in- that's interesting. And it's funny you bring it up because in my prior life, uh, I was at a parent teacher meeting and the teacher brought that book up. Ah, okay. Um, because maybe it was because what I was because what I was saying, but it's been a long, a long time. I can't remember, but it sunk in to me, even though I never read the book. Because, because I grew up in a family that, that uh, didn't have a lot of means. So gifts, specifically that love language, mm. gifts yes. had such a bigger impact because they were rarer. They, were, they represented a sacrifice, a significant sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And you, everyone was hyper aware of it because when you're poor, it, you're hyper aware of it. Yes. Um, and what, and it, like I say, in my past life, what my ex-wife's daughter needed for me was the time spent mm. with her. And her, that was her love language. Yeah. And I only had the gift-giving love language. Mm. And until that teacher pointed it out to me, I was like, oh, I'm just shooting arrows at the wrong target. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just emptying my, <laughs> emptying my quill. Yeah, and it, it discusses in there that everybody needs all of the five at different times. And it becomes a communication tool to have the person that you're in some sort of, you know, close relationship with whether that be son daughter you know boyfriend girlfriend whatever wife husband um we all have the five but people are going to have one that like really impacts them is like that really main that main one they need and my my daughter is time spent yeah so absolutely. that's why i got crap from her because i was leaving <laughs> you know so um i had to just scoop her up and hold her for 15 20 minutes and then she was fine um so i Filled her cup up before I left, you know. And uh, hey, can so, we, yeah, can we talk about? I, I was planning on having a whole different conversation with you, uh, sure. But I, I have to ask you about this. We were talking yesterday about being the dad to a daughter, and mm. you know, being being oh. your first, being your first child, and everything. The experience. All right, first of all, you don't. You'd only. Maybe that's not fair. I was. I was going to say you would only understand this if you were a man, mm. uh, but I'm sure women feel something like this too. Um, there is a 
right, right, well, even before sexual maturity, even before like puberty, women are seen as something. I don't want. I don't want to. I don't mean this in any. It's just really. It's like I'm tiptoeing here. Delicate and precious. But I don't mean like they can't take sure, care of themselves. Sure. I mean like as a man, you you feel like. I had a. I have a sister. She's mm-hmm. she's my age. She's my twin sister. Yeah. I grew up wanting. She, I thought about her like myself. Mm-hmm. And the sense the the impulse to protect her. Yes. I can't. I don't know where that comes from. But yes. it was it was there. Yes. Even when I was a kid. Yeah. And then when you get, when you start getting into puberty and you start looking at women in a different way, they have this magic to them. They have this appeal to them that's it's like hard to it's hard to understand. Um, there's there's wild cheering going going on upstairs. Yeah, by they the love way. what we're saying. They just love it. They can hear it. <laughs> They're watching football up there. Um, but in any case, when, when women when, like I just remember this kid that I grew up with uh, lived down the street. His name was Chris. Not the Chris you're thinking of, different street. Um, oh, gotcha. Okay, yeah. yeah. That uh, that he used to say when we were like 13, 14 years old. That like just some dumb stuff, but like that comes out of the mouth of teenagers. But he's like, you know, I respect women so much. I honor women so much. What he what he was saying was, I want one so bad. That, that's what that's, that's what funny, that's what yes. he was saying. Yes. But there's this thing like that where you put them up on a pedestal. Mm-hmm. And something about the female sex mm-hmm. has this intrigue and mystery and this force drawing you to it. And you know in, in retrospect that the force is a sexual force and you know it's driven by hormones and that sort of thing. But the opposite sex, it, it becomes this thing that it, you didn't, it didn't used to be. Right. It's an expansion of that protective feeling that I had about, about you know, my own sister mm-hmm. that now has become something else with a non-family member, must I say, in the, when you, when sexual maturity happens, and then when you become a, a husband, and when you become a father, you've got a whole other developments of that instinct. Yeah. And and there's something about your little girl mm-hmm. smiling at you, oh. wrapping her arms around you, needing you, mm-hmm. wanting you, you know, daddy, not not mommy. I, I mm-hmm. want daddy. Yep. That. It's the most gratifying and fulfilling experience that you cannot even describe. It's uh, it's you can't put it into words. Sure, you you go with me on that. Yeah, I do, and I I, I don't. I would go back to where you started to tiptoe and say that you aren't wrong in the idea because you know, being being I'm I'm a massage therapist. I often do prenatal massages, so I'm mm-hmm. working on uh, ladies that are pregnant from 12 weeks up until sometimes I've had them be 42 weeks, and I'm oh. working on them. Wow. Right, so. Um, there's something so magical to me about that, that if I had, um, stayed in the pre-med track I was in, I probably would have been in labor and delivery just Mm. because I love the magic of it all together. And something you were tiptoeing about was, see, there's a true purity in, you know, there's a lot of back and forth on, you know, the feminist heart versus the the masculine heart. And, and we can all at least agree that there are differences. We can all at least agree that there are things that truly happen against one versus the other. We can agree that there's injustices, and we can agree that that's happening. So this is not a statement to say that's not happening. But in the purest sense of a true masculine heart and the purest sense of a true feminine heart, there is this protecting of the innocence that mm. I will feel as a male when I find the delicate, and, and, and not delicate as in not strong, but worthy, worthwhile, and valuable to be protected, to be beauty to be, yeah. with beauty to behold, with with to 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 hold with with care, 
and consideration and love and protecting and surrounding it with with a security and safety and and the pure form of of uh, the feminist heart is to want to be in that in a level of security and be protected by your big strong man that that is sort of this innate desire that um, I believe is in there and so when I get excited about feeling that way for for like my daughter I get so excited when I'm doing a prenatal because she'll say I'll, I'll always go hey is this your first or you know just the the yeah. normal conversation and then if they say both it's your first and also it's a girl then I go oh that's so awesome yep. and here's why I get so excited because there are aspects of the genuine masculine heart that would look to the outside world as you know metro or feminine or something like that to where the 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 hardness and bruteness of a man man's heart literally melts in the presence of his little girl yes. such that you lose all strength it's like it's like kryptonite but in a good way that yes. all of the things that define you as the strong man fight girl <laughs> break stuff destroy stuff just completely gets goes away by that little girl with that, that high pitched little voice that comes out of her perfect little face. That's yes. so that's so funny. To man. where all of the other pains, all the other stressors, all of the things that as a man you think about is trying to make sure that every single thing in this kid's life, your wife's life, whatever, that they're protected, taken care of. All of that melts away to where you're literally just in the mindfulness of that that little hand wrapped around mm. your pinky finger mm. and it's different with a little girl because of that protecting of the innocence right and it reminds me of a book i read in dealing with as a, a, a kind of as a parent what answer what answer only a father can uh, uh or sorry what question only a father can answer for both a girl or a boy and a girl's number one answer that that now by the way mamas can answer these two but there's a different it just hits different when it's the father role the the genuine ma- manifestation of the father role it's um am i valuable am i lovely and am i worth fighting for mm. that little girl screams for daddy to do all of those things and if those are not fulfilled it ends up being one of the things that spirals older girls after puberty maturing mm. girls into the desire of fixing fulfilling or having what they did not have in those questions mm. being answered only by the good relationship with the father mm. in a little boy it's um it's in the, if you if you have a boy which now i do my second child is a son it is am i strong mm. do i have what it takes and are you proud of me mm. Mm. Those are the three things that only a father can answer with such a hitting different Mm. that a mother can come alongside and do the same thing. But there's just a difference in the way that it really forms that child's psyche and being a a, uh, well-adjusted, good self-esteem, like like really well-off emotionally to... Go after the world. I mean, imagine if you're a, a young boy that never had those questions answered. You're going to be insecure. You're going to fail at businesses because you just don't think you have what it takes because mm-hmm. your father never answered those questions. You know, and conversely of whatever thing, you know, a female may manifest later on in life that, that would show a, a uh, at least the lack of that question being answered or maybe not answered properly um, is exactly why I love 
having a little girl because the, having my son and not having a decent relationship with my dad that is amazing now, just as an on the air, by the way, um, it's, it's, it was so, e- so much easier to come from just the pure joy and love. Now, I had read that book prior to having a girl, so I had no predisposition of a bad example of that. So when she came, I was like, oh, I've got everything in me to perfectly answer these questions, no matter what comes in this little girl's yeah. life. But the masculine purity of fight would come if anybody tried to touch her. I would watch the light come out of their eyes to make sure that they were dead with no remorse if anybody (laughs) touched her in a wrong way or hurt that little girl. Of course. And I would have literally no remorse to watch it. Let me make sure that that soul left that body before I walk away from it and Mm. let the cops take it, the body, in a body bag. I would make darn sure that's happened if anybody hurts her. I can see it in your right? eyes. I know you're. Oh. I know you're right. Hey, will you repeat yeah. something for me that you said sure. earlier when you were describing the three char- three questions? Yes. Well, the ones you said about the boy. Say them again. Oh. Can you say them again, please? Yeah, I can tell it hit you. It did hit it me. It is. You, you shut me right up. It it is, and I I for for whatever reason I didn't have it to an adequate sense um, to come back after saying that my dad and I are great. It is. Am I strong? Do I have what it takes, and and uh, are you proud of me? Mm. That is it. That is the three. That if it's not, if it's not answered by the father, um, it's going to at least set the person up for a lot of hard times. So yeah, <laughs> you got me on that, man. That's it, man. That's the I, right thing. Because I uh, struggle with uh, just inadequacy, you know. Absolutely. And, uh, I did two for years, yeah. And I can see it in retrospect. And, um, you know, there's like a point in time when you become an adult and you can, uh, you can ask yourself, um, do, you have, do you have it in you? And you prove it to yourself. Yep. And, and I've done that. Yeah. So I, I answered the question, but it took a long time. Mm-hmm. And, I, yeah. and I'm not saying that my dad never answered those questions, but when you said it, you got me asking myself that question. Because I don't really know where the where the inadequacies and the insecurities come from. I don't sure. really, I don't really know. Sure, um, but they they fucked me up pretty good, you know. Totally. I mean, I mean, I did fine. I did better than a lot of people. A lot of people way more fucked up than me. Mm-hmm. But that's where that's where it comes from. And when you said it, it was just like, phew, it was yeah. right there, man, right there for me. Yeah, and and actually, I went through. Um, well, what I was telling him yesterday that I think is really good for context, especially because I said how seemingly easy it was for the little for my daughter and for me to perfectly. Uh, well, not perfectly in execution, but perfectly from beginning the execution, um, from no polarizing or opposite uh, uh, experience that could hinder me expressing that in that way for my little girl because my relationship with my mom was perfect. Um, and that's really where that came easier because it just wasn't as great with my dad until later in life. So I, so I, with I, my son, that was the problem. So I agree with what you said, that my relationship with my mom was positive. And uh, I was a mama's boy, so maybe it wasn't all the way healthy, but it was positive. Sure. And when I had girls, I knew what to do. Yeah. I, didn't, I didn't even question it. I knew what I needed to do. It was like second nature. It was like an instinct. Yeah. Um, and I always wanted a boy. Mm-hmm. And, I, and, you know, it, had I had a boy, that I don't know if I would have felt the same way, that I knew exactly what I needed to be doing. Sure. And I wonder if it's for the same reason as what you're describing. Yeah, I mean, I felt that way because I didn't have a, uh, I didn't have a, we'll say worthwhile and meaningful version to model from. Um, and yeah, when my son was born, uh, 
I mean, first of all, him getting here was just stressful. I mean, I had the very real thought of walking out of that hospital without my kid and without my wife. Jesus. The very real thought. And I had to sit there for probably 30 minutes while they were getting her OR prepped for C-section. And I was living, just like I shared with Chris with some other family members recently, I was living, I think it's Schrodinger, right? Schrodinger's cat. Schrodinger's cat, yep. So I was living Schrodinger's cat where he put poison that could be knocked over and he put another uh, thing that could kill the cat potentially in there. There was potential for this cat to be both dead and alive simultaneously. So both realities exist that it's dead and alive. So until I was Until you there, open the box. Until yep. you open the box. So for me, I was in that box waiting to open it by going into the OR to see if I'm bringing home my kid and my wife. Jeez. And he started out that way, which isn't necessarily to illustrate. Um, uh, it, it illustrates some of the difficulty by adding some level of fear to not mess him up more, even though he's fine, even though he's good. It just at least started the process with some trepidation and fear of, oh, my God, I almost lost this kid. I don't want to mess him up more than he already began because he began pretty deep, pretty, pretty, pretty not, not so good. So um, after that, how long were you waiting? Do you remember to get in the room? Oh, God. The funny thing is, I know it was at least 30 minutes that felt like 30 days, 30 days, Jesus. Jesus. At least that. And, you know, here I'm sitting with my in-laws feeling and feeling the same exact fear of this is a, this is not good because, see, I was standing in a, a I was standing in a position that I would similarly to be in holding a, a stretch position for like a client, like when I'm doing sports massage. I stood in that position for third, uh, two and a half hours to try to help my wife birth my child. And I had some physicality in the game of getting exhausted from my part of it, let alone what she went through, oh, yeah. by the way, that it just um, was really difficult. He, he, he was stuck, and he would not turn around. He mm. would not turn around. Two and a half hours, he was stuck you know, between. And the, the, the scary part was when my wife's vitals began to change as well as my son's, which is when the thought of impossibility of this might, go and, might be going south real quick. Is, is what added to that. So, yeah, it certainly felt like an eternity. I, I can imagine. And, and so... And you felt completely powerless. Oh, I, I couldn't do anything. And so it was, you know, through a lot of visceral, deep personal development and, and facing the why behind the emotions and the why behind certain actions I would do in trying to deal with the, the father issues that I had, I was able to trace that back and, and, and find the very first kink in that chain that happened when I was three years old. And, and it was actually a very defining uh, moment where my relationship with my dad was forever different and never better or, or never got to the place of it being better until I was an adult. So through all that very visceral, guttural, deep personal development, I took care of all that till the age three. But what happened with my son is without having a meaningful example to really, really pull from, like I could with my relationship with my mom, with my, with my daughter, um, not having that, coupled with the fear of what happened to even get him here, um, I started to mirror and manifest insanely non-characteristic behavior that I never, ever, ever did with my daughter. I'm talking losing patience incredibly quick, mm. being grateful that I did not hurt him badly 
because of the way that I would in anger mm. and rage mm. scoop this boy up because he needed his diaper changed as if he's the worst thing on the planet mm. for needing his dad to change his diaper or needing his dad to feed him. You name it, his basic needs that I am obligated to fulfill felt like a chore for him I, I that was a delight for my daughter. So I want to point out that the if you guys pick up on like the the scolding tone that, that Josh is in Josh's voice is he's telling him he's he's scolding himself. Yes. He's scolding himself. That's, yes. But I but you know what that's another that's a sign of maturity. Yeah. I, but I wonder what it is uh, that makes the difference between the boy and the girl in that scenario. I wonder what it is. I wonder what it is. Yeah. It, because anger is such a defensive um, behavior. It's almost mm-hmm. like, you know, if so, if somebody if somebody says something to you and you responded in anger, most of the time you're either in the wrong or you're in the wrong. I mean, or you don't you don't know what you're doing. Right. Uh, responding in anger is like a last resort sort of thing. Sure. And so I wonder if like not knowing what to do or feeling like you don't know what to do was making you angry. I think that that's yeah, that's actually a huge part of it I never looked at. Um objectively being able to look back at that time, I, I think that actually is a fragment I never noticed, um, which is true. I didn't know what to do because I didn't have a good example of it. And, you know, it was it was interesting that um, what would happen was all of these characteristics I would be exhibiting, it almost had this intrinsic feeling of I had to have gotten it from somewhere. Mm. Even it's just a basic fundamental thought, like change it to where'd that come from? It yeah. came from somewhere. Exactly. The where, because I'm very, it, it's very important to me to be able to kind of, in a healthy way, look inward. And again, what was the intentionality? Be, what, okay, what was the thought behind the physical action I did? And what was the intention that made the thought become the action? And break that all the way down to the point of, okay, what was the base level intentionality that I had to have some experience of seeing or experiencing in order to even have the wrong intention to then have the wrong thought to then that thought becoming the action of mm. almost hurting my child. Yeah. Like there had to be something. So I chased that down the down the source the same way that I had done much of the other personal development with regards to this like balance of daddy issues, right? And um, I had to finally go to somebody that was there. Like, you know, any kind of investigative thing. One of the best ways to get source materials to find someone that was there during the time. Absolutely. So I said, well, okay, well, I'm arriving at some ideas of I feel like I remember hearing or seeing this or, or dad doing this, uh, this, that, and the other or what have you. And then after talking to my mom, hey, I'm having these things happen with Jaden that I don't quite understand. And did dad ever X, Y, Z, A, B, C? Hmm. And she had this, you know, verbal shock in oh, her tone wow. of, yeah, like – your dad did the same. Your dad struggled with this. Your dad, whatever. And so from zero to age three, because three was that defining one that changed our relationship forever, um, which to be to be clear, it was actually a pretty, it's kind of a, it's, it's a, a, a small thing, but paramount in what it did. So many people can have some kind of example of this where, you know, grandparent, parent, somebody, will sit on you while you are underneath a blanket on a bed or on a couch and start going, ah, oh, this couch is weird. It's like, awful lumpy. Yeah, it's awful lumpy. What's it, what's it moving? It's weird. This couch is giggling. Like, yep, yep. this is weird. I would love to do that to my dad, and I'd lay on his side of the bed. And one of the times I did that at three, he threw that cover down, 
get in your own bed. Mm. I'm talking the most zero to 150 anger mm. that shocked me so badly that that's the thing that made our relationship incredibly different. Wow. He may not even remember that. So if that, if you're hearing this, I love you. You've already been forgiven. Been forgiven. We're awesome now. But that was it. And so I, I realized that, okay, my mom is now filling in pieces from between age zero, age zero birth, and three, that I was mirroring and manifesting the very things that in those defining years of am I valuable, worthwhile, and lovable, and then the next level is when you're kind of a, more of a, I would call a sentient human, only that you start to have the idea of self, which right. is from three on, yeah, you start yeah. to understand. Yep. Between two and three, you start to realize self because that's when selfishness comes in and right. you start to have to teach kids how to share right. because they start to have an awareness of self. And darn it, I want it all. It, it happens in all of the developmental ages. So so from three on is when now the physicality of the, uh, uh, am I strong? Do I have what it takes? And do, are you proud of me? That's when that one shown by action has to come on top of the awareness of self to then develop you into a good functioning boy in society with the ability to just go after your entrepreneurship dreams and just crush it because you had a good relationship. So I had to learn that my son was an external mirroring of what I had intrinsically in my pre-three years that were defining me. But the experience of eight months to a year of that hell, terror, and torture was that I was getting to be free using my son of things that were from three till birth that I could not have done if he had not been born. Because oh, I mirrored the very experience that I had that I don't have the ability to have a defined memory of because I was under three years old. And now I come home, Daddy! So what could have destroyed this boy's foundation? If I did not dig deep prior to him even being born to fix it till age three at 25 when I kind of took care of that. If I had not done that, and that let's say that I ended up having him, he'd be a mess. But I got to deal with the very first things before even having the ability to remember things that defined me that became the precursor to the three questions that I don't believe my dad was emotionally equipped to answer because of his yeah. upbringing. Yeah. I would not be the person I am today right here on this podcast if that didn't happen to me. It was crazy. So that that is crazy. And you know this is what it makes me think of. What what you the way you described it was that you fell into mirroring the pattern that was demonstrated for you when you were a kid, even though you were so young you don't even really remember it. So you have this sort of unconscious falling back on a pattern of behavior yes. that was that's, it's permanently a part of you even though you weren't aware of it. And that's phenomenally fascinating. That's, yeah. that's, that's magical to me. And, uh, you know, and you change the pattern with yep. your son, which yep. is great, which is great. Um, but I just think it's interesting that you can find yourself acting out a pattern of behavior that you aren't even consciously aware that you're doing. Mm -hmm. It's part. It's part of you, and you're and you're embodying it, and you're acting it out. Yeah. You're becoming your father in that moment when you were three years old. Yeah. And are surprised when you notice it. You're like yeah. Jesus. That's, yeah. that's an amazing thing. Yeah. Yeah. It was crazy, and I'm so grateful for it, and so grateful for that little boy, and. Um, I, 
one thing that one thing that was a struggle with with uh, with the boys. See, my kids, regardless of those issues that my son helped me to get through, there's two things that I told my wife. My kids will always know. One, I mean business, and two, <laughs> that I love them. Sorry, the other way around. One, that I love them, and two, that I mean business. I like it. That is actually the proper order I even told my wife. They will know that. And in that way, even if I have to show them I mean business, there is an aspect of love that I do after that that is not coddling, that is not making the behavior and the consequences of said behavior null and void because I now go and love on them. It is making darn sure that they understand that consequence, whatever happened, whatever way that I showed them that that was not okay behavior, that I came back after that sunk in and formed a different thought and then manifested a different behavior. I came back with love. You changed the vibration, Josh. That's right. I changed changed the the vibration. And I said, Daddy loves you. You can't be doing that. Or... You know, that would be always the follow-up. And and it was so much easier with my daughter. Um, but yeah, with my son, um, the one thing that would would then struggle after that breakthrough was just the... My dad embodied the attribute of daddy is boss, daddy means business. That is incredibly power, paramount, important, mm-hmm. and something very, very important to me, even with my kids now. So thank you, Dad, for that. Because even though there was some struggle there, you still did your job right in the way you knew how and it still became a part of me in, in a good way and and so when when they know our daddy means business they better shape up and listen but at the same time i'm going to come right back in with the with a deeper love so that that part does become a little difficult sometimes with the boy but um it doesn't not happen it does it's, it's i'm able to come back in there and sometimes he as a being a boy and being a little young man there is to some level they will only understand some level of physicality in the sense of making their butt pucker, frankly, of, oh, snap, daddy means it. Oh, snap. <laughs> you know, because I give them opportunity, talking, putting them down, time out, all the other stuff, right? It's like, okay. And then just, I don't, it's not necessarily having to be spanking, just the snatch up real quick of, hey, listen, in their face, not domineering, but look at daddy. Don't do that. And then they finally get the clue bus from just a little bit of physicality to put a tiny bit of reverence, not fear, of, oh, he means business, he's serious, I better quit, so that that pattern and that behavior stops manifesting. So it was easy with my daughter because all I have to do with her is very simply look at her and go, hey, baby, let's not do that. Okay, daddy. Literally what she says and she's done. Yep. With my son, hey, buddy, let's not do that. Looks at me, smirks with (laughs) with a little attitude knowing good and well he understood and is going to do it anyway. I give him a couple chances to complete the thought and do the action, and then there's consequences if he crushes it. Yeah, it's funny because my my girls are exactly like you described. My my first daughter is exactly like you described. You know, hey sweetie, don't do that. You know, come do this. It's just right away. It's just obedience. Yep. It's it's you know, she's the easiest kid. My youngest one. If I say, hey, don't do that, she has a smirk on her face. She looks at me. She intentionally does exactly what she's not supposed to do mm-hmm. and then runs from me, you yeah. know? As we've been here, as I've been here, you know, this day and a half, I kind of joked with uh, he and his wife and said, that's the seconds. It doesn't matter if it's a boy or a girl at second. For some reason, the seconds just do that. I don't understand it. It is something that you can see documented with statistical analysis. I don't get it. But it doesn't matter if it's a boy after that first one or, or what. It's, the second one just has this level of defiance in them that I, I, I don't understand it. But, but yeah, my boy does the same 
think. It's interesting. Hey, I wanted to tell you, I don't know if I told you this story before, maybe, maybe not, but when you were talking about your son being born and how difficult that was, mm-hmm. you know, um, with the pregnancy and all that, um, when my first daughter was born, um, I didn't know what to expect. I had never been there before. You know, <laughs> right. I had never been in that situation yeah. before. Uh, so she was born, um, it was super emotional for me. It like, mm-hmm. I was going to say this earlier too. Did you know that your testosterone, after you have a, 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 a child, your testosterone falls by like 50%. I never knew that, especially tr- since that's since that's a very real understanding and thought for me at 38. <laughs> and, and this is the thing: the reason the reason that they think physiologically that happens is well, there's an evolutionary reason. Mm-hmm. And it, it is that if I get a girl pregnant and then my testosterone drops by 50, percent I'm more likely to stay around and be a dad rather than go chasing pussy. Wow! Do you see what I mean? Wow! So yeah, there's a bi- there's a biological reason for it. That's crazy. Um, but where was it? Where was it going before we went off on um, that tangent? You were saying oh, oh when my daughter when was your born. daughter was born, you've never been there before. Yeah, never been there before. It was so, emotional. It was super emotional. It turned me into a little bitch, and I've never yep. recovered. So did my same. <laughs> but when when she came into the world, and she was covered in she was gray and covered in slime, mm-hmm. um, I looked at her, and it was like. Nothing you've ever experienced. It's like right. it's like you you it's like you watched the Big Bang. Mm-hmm. It's like you sat there in the distance and watched a new a new world be born. Sure, that's what that's what it was like. And she was quiet, mm. not a peep, not a cry, mm-hmm. not a, not a nothing. Mm-hmm. And she's just hanging there in in the in the air in this moment that seemed to last forever. Then they take her and they put her underneath that lamp mm-hmm. to, to warm her up, and they're cleaning her off. And I'm just standing there in shock because. She's not crying. I don't hear anything. Wow. And they're and they're, you know, washing her off her oh, chest. Or, you sure. know, and did they show some level of concern, or was it just they, you they, not knowing you were there before? You thought I, maybe something was wrong, but something very well could not have been. Or well, was. that's exactly that's how do I know, man? So uh, this is this is the thing, man. Okay, they're over there working. They're not saying anything. They're mm-hmm. working vigorously. I don't know what they're doing, what to expect, but I have seen movies, Josh, <laughs> and in movies when a baby's born. It cries, mm-hmm. and if it doesn't cry, the ba- the doctor smacks the baby on the ass, yep. and then it cries. Right, and that's how you know the thing's gonna make it. Right, my baby didn't do that, mm. so I'm sitting there with this dread in my mm-hmm. heart, like powerless to do anything about it, and not knowing if something was wrong, and thinking something was wrong. Yeah, and I don't know how long that lasted, but then they, you know, then they like suck her nose and her mm-hmm. mouth, and mm-hmm. and she. Opened her eyes a little, and she was fine. And she didn't. She still didn't say a word. She didn't wow. cry. She was quiet. I, she didn't cry until like the next day. I don't remember her crying till like the next day. Oh my day. goodness, that's so unreal. That's so unreal. Unreal. Uncommon. So my daughter. It's funny you say that. My daughter did the exact opposite. Oh yeah. <laughs> so when my daughter was born, by the way, one of the things that I, I this isn't too graphic to some. It might be, but I actually think it's pretty cool. The craziest thing is I can remember that day that girl was born as vividly as I remember, you know, being at dinner last night with their family. As vivid and as clear as if it just happened. And and one of the things that was really interesting is because, you know, they're they're in inside of the uh, amniotic fluid, they're basically swimming in a giant sack of fluid. And they are largely what they are in, which is sort of this quasi permeable liquid when they come out that turns solid when they come past the barrier of the vaginal canal. Mm. They almost solidify before your eyes 
from a world of water to a world of matter mm. and firmness. And I remember my daughter doing that. It looked like like she was forming outside of the womb in a way that she could never have done inside of it, but but her her form. Like a butterfly coming out of its totally. chrysalis. So crazy. But to get to the opposite part, um, they talk about, yeah, they cry, all these, you know, the normal things. But my daughter, and I have a video of it where two and a half to four minutes, she is laying there on my wife's chest, literally going, Really? Newborn? Yes. Wow. Freaking brand new baby. Wow. Sitting on the chest of my wife, jabbering, and literally the intentionality I could feel was her telling us all about how it was. And wow. I kid you not, that is literally what the intention was I got from this kid because doctors were looking around. Uh, they were like, kids don't do this. This is weird. They all had the look of shock. Now, we had collected a quite the spectacle of spectators um, because she had swallowed merconium, which is the so version of... my in- daughter. Whoa. So she had swallowed merconium, and she had uh, the, the tube around her neck a little bit. So she had kind of a, a, a strange coincidence of multiple non-normals <laughs> that, that happened. So by the time uh, uh, she was born and still doing that, there was like eight interns three doctors and three nurses in that room all watching this child that was just born jabber on about her experience inside of that place. <laughs> That's amazing. And I still have the video to this day. Um, it's oh, now I, up on the cloud. I want to see that video. I will share it with you. Yeah, it's up on the cloud now. So it, it was crazy. So I, I want to tell you what comes to my mind because before the podcast, Josh and I were sitting on the couch this morning drinking coffee, talking talking you know just talking and i brought up some stuff i've been thinking about lately with islam those people who listened to the last couple episodes uh maybe know some of that because i talked a bit about it but one of the things that we talked about was the stories in the quran that that survived there when they were from these early early gnostic christian groups they didn't survive in christianity but they survived in islam one of the stories i told you about the jesus making the um sparrows out of, out of clay mm-hmm. another story goes right to what you just said, and I, I have to... It, really? It, it seems strange to me that you would tell me this story. Oh, my goodness. Because it... it I'm going to tell you this. You, you tell me what you think, because it just... It's weird how similar it is. Okay. So there's a Gnostic story from one of these embassy gospels. Okay. And you see it in Islam. You see it in the Quran when, when they talk about Jesus being born. And the story goes like this. When Jesus was born, newborn, just, just born, that the baby Jesus speaks what I'm, I'm serious wow the baby jesus speaks and says in the in the in the gnostic story he he says that he's um a, a prophet of god and that he's come to save the world and he and he speaks in actual words like that and so the the idea from the gnostic tradition is that jesus was doing miracles from the time he was born the moment he was born he was doing miracles like mm. a like an infant speaking and that story survives in, in Islam, and it's similar, very similar story. And then I was going to tell you that this morning, and I didn't quite get there. That's and then so you bring funny. up the story about your daughter being born and speaking like that. Totally jabbering, and it frankly sounded like another language. I would liken it to inside of churches where it would sound like you're speaking, speaking in, tongues. in tongues, which I actually believe is an ancient form of Enochian, which is believed to be an angelic language that actually had pictographic characters to it and actual language as well 
I'm not saying she actually did, but what, wouldn't it be interesting if, since I have the video, give it to some linguistic person and maybe <laughs> watch it, watch it be like she is literally speaking like she's speaking fluent Arabic, and she said, "Hey Samaria. guys, I'm here to party," yeah. or something so silly. Like it, it reminds me of uh, I can't remember what horror movie it was now. Oh, maybe it was The Exorcism of Emily Rose or something like that. That's, that was a good. That's one. one of my favorites, where she starts speaking and and you know how they when a, a demon possessed person speaks in another language that they don't know how crazy that is. Right. Um, so that so that kind of reminds me. But even all supernatural stuff aside, one of the things that um, that uh, psychologists and biologists will say about about um, you know cooing and all those sort of sounds that babies make before they can speak mm-hmm. that what and even Jordan Peterson talks about this that they practice all of the sounds that are possible for a human larynx and mouth to form sure and so when they when they do their goo goo gagas mm-hmm. what they're doing is literally practicing speaking yes your your daughter was doing that the moment she was born Absolutely. She was practice. She was learning how to speak. Mm-hmm. The mo- she was teaching herself yes. the moment she was brought into this world. That yeah. that that's amazing, man. Yeah, and I remember when she. Um, I remember vividly her being laid in, under the lamp, getting cleaned up, and her head faced the complete opposite direction from me. That you know, it, it looked like she had whiplash when she did this, but. I think I said, hey, baby, or something. I, I talked to her. I said something to her. I was like, hey, baby. She shot that head around almost like like getting whiplash from the side. And and there was this automatic, I know that voice. Mm. That's my daddy's voice. Because I had some strange idea, even though I had a pretty good base knowledge of what was going to happen uh, once my wife was pregnant. Um, because of my pre-med knowledge, I'm really interested in data data sheets and I can find myself down a medical rabbit hole that I go to all the sources that a normal person doesn't know to go to and read medical journals and cross-reference it with this, that, and the other. And I did that uh, for the idea and understanding of birth and the entire process to um, understand more of what I was going to experience with my, with my daughter. And it was just how interesting that she she knew Daddy's voice because one of the things that's so fundamental that I thought I had to do is I thought I had to be right up to her belly to talk to her or else she wouldn't be able to hear me, which is the silliest thing when you think about it. But when you don't have an ex- have a knowledge before, because then I was like, wait, I don't have to do that. Anytime I'm talking to mom, yep. she is recognizing and listening and understanding that that is somebody, somebody's voice yep. that's familiar. She doesn't necessarily maybe know it's daddy when she came out, but she knew the voice. She knew my voice. Even the, even the dirty talk, Josh. Absolutely. Especially the dirty talk. That's right. Yeah. That might be why she's such a stinker and says <laughs> funny stuff. So, hey, man, listen, you brought up uh, a Nokian, and you said that shit and just let it go. Like, like people are just <laughs> going to be okay with it. So, uh, so listen, I, I feel like we, we don't do justice to ourselves without doing Fringe. So, let's do Fringe. Okay. Let's do, let's do the, the final segment will be Fringe. Josh uses the word Enochian, and it's a reference to Enoch, who's a character from the Bible, and an, uh, an extra-biblical book called the Book of Enoch that wasn't included in the Bible, but very ancient, and once upon a time was considered to be a legitimate scripture. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's interesting. And it's fringe, and we talked about this on our first podcast. But you brought up the language, so I want to add, I want to get into that for sure. you. Sure. So it sounds to me, and this may go back to where we started when we were talking about Becky and your dad. Mm-hmm. Um, you know the the um, chariots of the gods and the ancient aliens type stuff. Yeah. So 
so there's this idea in the Bible that says uh, just before the flood mm-hmm. that that there were sons of God. Yeah, and it doesn't describe who they are, but it always seemed to me like it was describing angelic beings, yes. like angels. Yes, and they saw the daughters of men, mm-hmm. and I, that seems to me like human mortal women. Correct. That they were fair, beautiful. Yes. yes. So they came down. They took from them wives from 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 those that they chose. They had they had children with the sons of God, mm-hmm. and the Bible says that their sons, that their children were mighty men of old, men of renown. Yes, men of renown, exactly. And that's it. And the Bible shuts up about it. Yeah. And you're just like, pump well, the brakes for a well, second. Well, the canon Bible that was yeah, decided yes. to be the canon Bible based on certain ideas that people that decided that had. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And so this isn't exactly biblical. It's not in the canon, like you say. Mm-hmm. But the idea was that whatever happened when the angels and the mortal women had children, whatever happened was bad because mm-hmm. it resulted in the flood. Yes. And then the world was destroyed. And that's what the Bible says. Yep. The book of Enoch fills in the gaps. It does. Beautifully. And, and if you, Beautifully. And uh, if you look at, if you look at um, Enoch in the Bible... He was one of a couple of characters, Elijah being another, mm-hmm. uh, and maybe Jesus being another, if you if you believe that, that uh, that were taken bodily to heaven. Yes. So these, so Enoch was one of those people that didn't die like a mortal. Mm-hmm. He just wasn't there one day because he got taken up to heaven. Right. And if you're a conspiracy theorist, you might say, "Well, that's a UFO, guys. It's pretty cut and dry. Mm-hmm. He, that guy got beamed up and he's gone." Mm-hmm. Uh, but what's interesting to me is this idea that the Nephilim. Which, yes. which are these fallen angels, yep. these angels that, that, that are talked about in, the, in you know, Genesis and the book of Enoch. Mm-hmm. If they came down from wherever, their spaceships or uh, from another dimension or from this heavenly realm or whatever, whatever you want to say, mm-hmm. they came down and, and interbred with mortal women. Yep. Um, and their culture might have been a high culture. That this might have been a time before historical records mm-hmm. i would say pre-adamic pre-adamic yeah yeah pre-adamic um where there might have been high culture you guys would be familiar if i said atlantis you'd be like oh that's what he means that's an example exactly they were called the sea people by the way yeah um so there's the there's there's record of people showing up in like israel mm-hmm. showing up in crete yes. showing up in different places like middle east with high culture yep. and they're like where do these people come from yep. they call themselves the the sea people the seafaring mm-hmm. people or whatever and they they do have languages yes that have not been that have not been um, uh, what's the word interpreted they have they haven't been the code hasn't been cracked uh, linear linear a comes to mind and this is a language in um, it comes from Crete actually and there's two versions of it there's linear a there's linear b linear b is Greek so we've cracked it we have figured out what it means because once we realized it was ancient Greek we were able to figure it out but. The Minoan language, we still don't know. We still yeah. haven't been able to figure it out. So the linear sure. A that came first is completely undecipherable. Mm-hmm. Is that what you mean when you say an, an, an Enochian, or do you have something else in mind? Um, it, it kind of reminds me, before I kind of understood the connection to Enoch in that kind of that time, it, it actually is used widely in... Uh, the show Supernatural that I adore. Oh, I haven't seen Shout it. out to Supernatural. Oh, God, Chris, <laughs> you're so, you got, you love it. It's every single season now is on Netflix, so no excuse. You got to watch right. it. Good. Um, but what was really interesting is that's kind of where they, they talked about that a lot more. And um, it, it is what I mean. It's sort of this angelic language that, um, because, okay, 
this will be this will be churchy for a second in the sense of uh, gifts of the spirit and how those things are defined. There is a gift of tongues. There is a version that the Greeks suggest is the ability to speak a language that you don't quote unquote know. I have people that I know personally that have not learned any language before going on a missions trip and end up in the church services talking to the locals and end up speaking their language without them having never having never looked at the language ever before. There is another version that is a a in the Greek is a angelic language that then if you have the gift of tongues speaking the angelic language to be right and orderly in the church you must have somebody that has the gift of interpretation which is the ability that is believed to be supernatural to hear and understand the angelic language to be able to tell the church what the person that had the gift of tongues just said Mm. for that to edify the body and build it up and give them some revelation of god the next one is simply just a new tongue that Paul talks about, which actually, when you look at the Greek, is a language of love. It is being the uh, love language. It, it is um, agape, mm, and it is yeah. the version that is manifested, the, that, that agape is the perfect manifestation of the love of God that is in unable. we are unable to do without that God doing it through us. Um, so that's that's the different versions of language, and so that's interesting. Enochian is the one that is the angelic uh, that I referenced earlier as a joke that maybe she was speaking that. <laughs> well, listen, um, my mind goes two places. Um, for, well, first of all, I want to say if anybody listening thinks to themselves the notion that somebody could speak a language or understand a language that they have no natural right to to understand, that does sound difficult to believe. But there are multiple cases of people having head trauma mm-hmm. who recover and can speak languages that they never they've ne- have no reason to know how to speak. There yep. is some there is some unexplained stuff around that that makes me go with you a little bit. Down yeah, and a lady that was in a car accident and is from like Wisconsin and ended up coming out with a a, a Surrey sect of English. Uh, British oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, 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 accent is the word I was looking for. Um, that when somebody heard her talk as she woke up, you sound like you're from Surrey. And that may not be the exact place, but it was literally the point of an exact version of, like, you know how we can say, we can, like, a Jersey accent, right? Yeah, yeah. Or we could say, you know, the Italian accent, we can sort of mock whatever that is, or a hillbilly accent, like mm-hmm. whatever... Whatever one that they were able to identify. Hey, hey, that sounds like you're from Surrey. You do that hillbilly accent a lot, a lot better than the British one. I wonder. I wonder why that would be, Josh. Southern Ohio. <laughs> all right. So the other thing that comes to my mind when you talk about speaking in tongues. First of all, I want you to know, I went to church with my grandma um, a couple times when I was a kid, and I don't know. This is funny because I don't actually. I should probably ask her about this mm. because we had a family church, um, and we. They always went there, and this church we went to was not that church, and I don't know why. It mm. was it was in a mall. We went and we met like I think it was in a mall or in a store. It was like upstairs in an empty room that they were like renting out. They didn't have, they didn't have a church. Okay, so sure. it was some other congregation that she was into, and it's me, my sister, my grandma, and we're at church. 
I don't know why we were there without anybody else, but we were. And at some point, my grandma stands up. She starts speaking in tongues. Mm. And I had never seen it before. Mm-hmm. And I was given no warning about it. Sure. And I was, I was young enough to just sit there and ex- observe it and not, and not freak out or ask questions. Yeah. So I want you to know I've, I've had that experience. And my grandma is a very devout woman and has a, has a very close relationship with God. It exudes out of her. Mm-hmm. And I respect her greatly for that. And I don't think she's full of shit. Sure. That said... I'm reluctant to believe in the speaking of tongues. And when you described what you described and needing somebody to interpret it, mm-hmm. I think of Joseph Smith. I think oh, I think funny. of the seer stone. I see. You know, it's like only Joseph Smith can read the the tablets mm. that, that the Book of Mormon came from. And he needs this special device to see it. And everybody else can fuck right off. Sure. So it's like suspicious to me sure. that you need it. That he, you know what I mean? Yeah. So how do you respond to that? Well, it's it's... You know, I don't think it's that. That has a different, like, a different connotation because if if you want to go down that hole a little bit, he added to the Bible and had some unique experience that when you actually try to look at the linear dates and you actually try to like verify that with any kind of ability to be a forensic person, you can kind of tell the intentionality behind the guy was actually a very opposite motivation. No, I get you, and and that's the challenge. That was a challenge I have, and I actually have had. Uh, people at Mormons come to my house and, and try to debate various ideas to me, and they always leave very frustrated um, when when that would happen. Now, it's not to say that I was rude, belligerent, nasty, anything like that. It's just they don't always, they are not trained enough to understand the opposing opposition to what they believe to be able to articulate the mm. differences of what people would believe if they dug deep enough beyond the dogmatic things they're told oh, they yes. only yeah. say what they're told to say yes they're trained up in a cult and they're sent out to spread the cult yeah, exactly. exactly so they don't have any intrinsic self-study outside of what the person told them to research it and get any kind of gift so, in it so, you, so, so. You, you bring them in and you talk to them I have. Dude, that's amazing. Yeah. I, I would love that opportunity, and it just it never happens. Yeah. Why yeah. don't the Mormons ever come to my well, house? Well, my grandfather, who used to get really annoyed, used to tell me a secret that I am in no way trying to be disrespectful, but is sort of funny when you think about it. He used to say, if you ever want to get rid of them, call them Russellites because they don't like it. I don't know why. I haven't actually teased it out too much. Well, but that's something that he used to say. If I don't want to talk to them and they're being belligerent because I think he had some experiences where they were, he called them that to get them to stop and leave. I think I might know. Okay. So, I don't remember that part. Well, let me, let, me, let me give you what I think it might be. So there was a guy named, oh, I want to say Alfred Taze Russell. He's, okay. He's the guy that started the Jehovah Witness Church. Ah. So if you if you call a Mormon a Jehovah Witness. That makes sense. That's got to be it. That must be yes, it. That must be, be it. it. Because Gotta I, be. Yeah, because I put them, I put them in the same category, you know. Sure. sure. Yep. Um, well, back to your question of the interpretation part. I see some of the conversations Chris and I have is, and again, once he reads a book I mentioned to him, the phrase that I keep escaping, he's going to call me or text me and be like, "I freaking love that term because <laughs> it's it literally I saw him when I heard it." in an idea that if you lock your paradigm around it being absolutely impossible for nothing to happen outside of physical laws that we can measure, touch, taste, feel, see, experience over and over again in a lab experience, etc., etc., it renders you unable to explain, which you don't have to, it renders you unable to accept anything that would appear beyond that. It, it, it automatically shuts you down from and I'm not saying that this is exactly Chris because I feel I've seen people that are staunch the other way like 
I don't think there's conversations he and I have had that we believe much of the same things. We mm-hmm. just have a different starting point. Yep. So, so that's not at all to illustrate we have that strife in our relationship because it's quite the obvious. But I've met people that have such a staunch view that they, they would ignore. And I'm going to be honest. Let's say that a bush started burning supernaturally in front of them, they would be like, well, that must be something in my mind or come to uh, some other conclusion. Spontaneous combustion. Right. They could come to whatever conclusion and, and somebody that would come up there, you know, later on would be like, dude, it caught on fire. The ashes are here. It's somebody that would know those ashes aren't real. It didn't really burn. So it can create at least an idea that when you experience things, because I'm very analytical, and even though I have a different starting point, I'm very similar in that beginning mindset. But when you experience things that go so far beyond that, that no matter what you do, you can't rationalize or try to figure it out, you have to accept that it happened without the understanding. It changes your whole perspective. And I have had several encounters like that in my 38 years. Because I began very much the same way, very skeptical, very, you know, nah, I'm very science-based. I I love the whole idea of the beginning point. But man, when you have things that wreck you, that go, that destroy that analytical ability, and you have no frame of reference to have any articulation for it, you can't help but accept that it happened, but you don't understand how or why. Mm. And, and, and that's not to go too far as to say what people will. You've got to have faith. I'm not saying that. I'm saying you literally can't rationalize it, and you have to just accept, I was not crazy. I literally saw it happen. I've had stuff happen where I'm testing it. Like, I literally am seeing something in front of me, testing my eyes, closing my eyes, opening my eyes, turning on the light, turning off the light, doing various physical things to see if it still exists or still happening, and it is. Mm. No matter my – and right there in the moment, testing it – with physical laws and means that I have in the moment, and it still is there. Hmm. That's how I've had it happen. So that's what makes it a little more more difficult. So it's, it's interesting. Um, do are you aware of? You brought up Enochian scripts, so I want to circle back to that. Mm-hmm. Are you aware of artifacts where where they exist, like the writing system that you're referring to? I've seen exists? some, and I think it's what you googled. It, right? Maybe this. Maybe yeah. this. Okay. I think this is what. Well, there, there are yes. others. Have you ever heard of the Phaistos disc? Uh, I sh- think I have. Let yes. me show it to you. I don't know how to spell it. Um, It'll probably get you there. Those disc. There it is. There it is. Theostos looks like it's... Yeah. So this here is another um, ancient writing system. I have and seen that, yes. See but I've never, I never knew the name. Yeah, Phaistos disc. And it, it, these things look like the, the symbols themselves. They look like they're stamps because they're all like this one and this one. They're mm-hmm. identical. Yeah. So if you look at them, it's almost like they were using movable type. And it's an ancient disc, and nobody has any explanation for it. Um, I have seen that. It almost looks like a record, as if they might put it on something that would almost make a sound. But it, it looks like kind of a record keeping thing. It definitely it definitely seems to spiral in. Mm-hmm. You know, it definitely seems to spiral in. The reason I wrote down this is because um, sometimes life imitates art, and there's a lot of shows that when you start to at least, I'm a guy that analyzes patterns. Okay, so some of the things that I see. And think about is because somewhere in my, you'll love this word, subconscious, (laughs) I have logged it and I developed the ability to access some level of that with conscious thought by just trying to open up whatever doorway is behind there without some substance. I have the ability, don't know how, can't articulate it, but I will be able to, once I'm pulling on a data set or I'm pulling on some sort of uh, a thread of data I will pull subconscious stuff with it to back that up or remember it or what have you. And so there's interesting connection I had to this idea of language in Enochian and, and, and Enoch. And 
And it made me think of the Tower of Babel. And a lot of the times people think that the Tower of Babel happened in biblical times, but I would argue it actually happened before biblical times that we have a record of because of the way that we at first all spoke one language. And then because we built the tower to try to get to God in his anger, he separated us and gave us individual language because at one time we all had the same language. And my point is what I wrote down, I was watching the Netflix show Castlevania, loving the games growing up. (laughs) Yes. And they're in a part in season two, I want to say episode five or six. And I don't normally know shows and even know, can quote the episode so i don't know why this one can maybe it went in my subconscious i don't know but i could be completely wrong on which one that was but there is a a mystical uh, um a mystical shaman sorcerer that is going through belmont's um archives and she said something that made the hair stand up on my on my neck because she because i was already before watching this particular episode in a discovery of the very thing we're talking about thinking was there a first language and she said in the show This book here is written in Adamic, which is the language that Adam and Eve spoke in the garden. Mm. And God and Adam and Eve spoke this Adamic language. And that when we tried to, you know, find God, we were separated and other languages developed out of Adamic. And I wonder if we were to trace origins of languages and the linguistics of and the archetypes and the picture graphs that it may have originated from, could we end up at a universal language that every single place on this planet used to speak, and could that be the Adamic language? That's a really interesting idea. So it's funny that you start with the myth. You start with the myth, but the myth represents a reality. The myth is Adam and Eve in the garden, the first two human beings. The reality is at some point, there must have been the first two human beings, right? So so from the hominid creatures that existed before us, at some point, there was a first man and woman. That's real. You can call them Adam and Eve or not, but mm-hmm. that we're talking apples and apples. That mm-hmm. happened. Mm-hmm. And if they were human beings like you and I, then they were speaking. Yeah. And it, maybe it was simple. Maybe, maybe it wasn't sophisticated. But they were probably speaking in some way before they were ever human. Animals, animals communicate of, of all, mm-hmm. in all sorts of ways. So it was a development of that. Yeah. And there would have been, among the first human tribes, a, a, some sort of language. Yeah. And, it and, and I imagine they would have had the pictograph to represent that language based on they, what they could see and experience that physically existed in their world at that time. That sure. became the symbol of that, that was actual picture of this beast or that rock or what have you, that then over time became a one or two line representation of that same image that goes all the way back to them first seeing it when they first start experiencing this world that they had in it. That's that's really awesome, and I have something, if I can find, I want to show you. Um, I think it's going to be here. Hold on a second. Um, let's see, let's see. I have this file on my computer. Um, is it this one? No. Uh, I have this file on my computer that has all of the, the various books. Maybe I've... Origins of the World's Mythology? Oh, no. So I thought that said words at first. Oh, no, no. Yeah, so so all the books that I've read, I've taken notes on. Um, I just sort of keep so I can go back and, and easily get to some of this stuff. And one of these talks about um, language. I'm trying to remember which one. Uh, let's see. People of the Earth? No. Human Prehistory? No. Uh boy. Uh, I'm going to try this guy. Um, 
McHorder. Let's try this guy. First of all, John McHorder, uh, he did a this story of human language. You see, Josh? Oh, sure. This, yeah. this one was a teaching company lecture, like a college lecture. Mm-hmm. Um, and John McHorder is actually popped up in my social media recently. Mm-hmm. Um, I really didn't know anything about him beyond having read this book in 2004. Um I really like him in his politics. John McCorder is is solid, but mm, okay. I want to see if I can show you. I don't think it's McCorder now that I think about it. There was a book I read, and if I scroll through, maybe I'll find the images where the guy was comparing ancient languages around the world. Mm-hmm. And there's a script in here. If I if I if it's in here, we should be able to see it. It should pop out because it's a script. Like I like I wrote it with Microsoft Paint or something. Um, and if I can't find it in a second, I'm going to. I'm going to stop the audience's suffering and just tell you my the best as I can. Uh, I don't see it. All right, never mind. So I can't show you the visuals, but the idea is this. Um, there are words that sound the same or similar mm-hmm. across different languages. And some of them are similar across time and across cultures in ways that seem un- unrealistic. Mm-hmm. Like okay. I'll, I'll give you an example. In uh, Brazil... If you say, uh, what is it, thank you, mm-hmm. it's obrigado. Mm-hmm. In Japan, it's arigato. Right. Is there any rationale that those words should sound similar mm-hmm. at all when the Japanese and the Brazilian or the, even the Portuguese cultures mm-hmm. had zero contact historically, right. pretty much? Mm-hmm. That's, so that's what, the, that's what this guy kind of gets his grips into, and he's like, there's a reason why some of these words yeah. are similar. And I was, I was hoping I could refer to some specific examples, but I remember words like um, like tick, tock, to, mm-hmm. that there's a bunch of words like that across ancient and modern languages mm-hmm. that all mean things like the number two or a pair mm-hmm. or something that means yeah. two. Yep. And there's all kinds of words like that, like with the word name and the word mm-hmm. mom mm-hmm. Uh, or mother. Like there's all these parallels all throughout time, and and uh, it makes you it makes you wonder if the explanation for that isn't a common origin. I think so. it reminds me of Greek actually, because there was a pretty interesting. It might be it was it was either Greek or Hebrew. So don't quote me on which one of those two, but it was one of those that um, people that were studying biblical language and things like that. They found that if they they came up with an algorithm and a system to measure the physical representation of what somebody was saying, and whenever you spoke Greek, it on this machine visually did the character of that letter that you said. Mm-hmm. It visually did it tonally and vibrationally. Mm. And based on that being pretty much the origin of everything, I believe that there is a tonal component to all of language having a tonal representation that represents a physical, this is what I'm meaning when I'm saying this word, that supersedes time, space, ability to talk amongst each other, that because it first originated as a tonal thing, the physical saying of that, even if it might sound a little bit different, the force of your breath, the way you move, the way your mouth shapes, the words mm-hmm. would arguably do the exact same physical representation of that tone to represent a unifying character that connects all language. I believe it could get to that. That's interesting. And you know what that made me think of when you were talking about tone? It's like, first of all, language and sp- the spoken word are, the more I think about it, the more magical it seems to me. 
Um, but the idea that the tone is a vibration. Yeah. Like the, what I'm speaking is a vibration. It's a pattern of frequency and wavelength. It's yes. A, it's a pattern. Yes. And if I were to come up with a word, let's say like cow, mm-hmm. and the cow is made up of all these electrons mm-hmm. and, and atoms, and they're also vibrating with a particular pattern, mm-hmm. a wavelength and a frequency. Mm-hmm. And it makes that specific wavelength and frequency is what makes the macro animal the manifestation mm-hmm. of a cow. Yeah, kind of like we were talking on the way like home. Kind of like we were talking yeah. on the way home. Yeah. And if I were to come up with a word that means that vibrational pattern, and the tone that comes out yes. of my mouth is a mirror of the pattern of, of that creature. Yes. You see what I'm saying? Yes. I have no idea if that would if that's even legit. It, it's, it's a very cool idea. Mm-hmm. Or if a human being is sophisticated enough to model out, like, I don't know how you would come up with a rep- representation of the world, how mm-hmm. you would invent language. Like, wh- where would you begin? Sure. But might that be a reasonable starting place? Yeah, that if I, have, I think so. If I have some intuition, some experience of a cow, mm-hmm. and whether I no- realize it or not, it's understanding the pattern. Mm-hmm. And then I come up with a pattern out of my mouth that corresponds to that pattern, yes. and that's how the meaning is linked. Yes. That's beautiful. I would, I, would, I would definitely think that, especially because, like I said, I'm randomly watching this show on Castle, this Castlevania show, and I thought, oh my gosh, I just had that thought. And here's this girl saying... Hey, yeah, we all spoke Adamic, and you know that was lost to us after Babel, and then we got more and more fragmented, and you know we all speak some tonal version of the same pictograph or vibrational pattern that it matches all the way back to the very beginning. That's interesting. It could be. Listen, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to wrap this up by by bringing up this related topic. Okay, and we're talking about language. I'm gonna talk about the spoken word. Okay, because. That comes up in the Bible, the logos. The yep. word comes yep. up in the Bible in a way that I never appreciated until pretty recently. Mm-hmm. I always loved the book of Genesis. I always loved the creation story because to me, creation is what religion explains. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. So that's that's the most important bit. Um, and in, in Genesis, it says, you know, uh, well, God spoke the cosmos into existence. Mm-hmm. And that's interesting. Yeah. Let there be light. And it was. Yeah. That's interesting. So creation was a word of God. Mm-hmm. And we use that same language when we say Jesus, you yeah. know. Um, he was the word made flesh. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. the word of God made flesh. And here's what, here's what I want to tell you. I mean, I've probably told you this before, but I had this realization that when we speak, that what we're doing is formulating an intention, mm-hmm. an intentionality, yep. Yep. in our unconscious or subconscious mm-hmm. And then we are bringing it into the material world. Yes, we're bringing something from a place that isn't here. Mm-hmm. It's it's in our head. It's yep. it's not material. It's not. It doesn't exist exactly. Mm-hmm. We're bringing the our thoughts from that place mm-hmm. and spewing them out into the material world. Yeah, and that's that picture mm-hmm. is what is what God did when He spoke the world into existence. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad you. I'm glad you're going with me on this. Yeah, we re, we are whether. Whether you want to apply any dogmatic principles to that or not, it's it is simply a a something started, and every time we do speak, we are literally replicating the very thing that started all of it. We're taking from nothing and bringing it into the world. I mean, that's the tr- that is, we are to be we are to be co-creators of our reality from the one that started it all because we create what we experience by what we say and what we think. And the tonality of that spoken word creates a vibrational frequency that will match that materialistic manifestation of that idea thing. 
And that's the powerful thing when you try to change your life because you are creating the manifestation that you don't want or do want. But once you understand you have the power to do that, you can start changing the picture that comes up in your life like it's a TV. You can change your antenna to send out the right things that you're wanting to physically see and literally co-create it and experience it because you have the ability to do so. So what you just said about being co-creators, that, that human beings being co-creators mm-hmm. with God, I, I love it because it piggybacks right on what I just said about, yep. about the Word. But, but it also hits really close to home for me mm. in terms of my understanding of God and uh, creation. Sure. My understanding of God and creation is that, just like the Bible says, we're created in the image of God. Mm-hmm. And that's why we're doing, like you say, what God has done, the yep. creation. We're continuing to do that. We are. Um, yep. Where was it going with this? Damn it. Uh, lost it. Co-creator. Co-creator. Yes, co-creator. Yes. So it hits to the heart, hits home to me because when you say, when you recognize and acknowledge that what we're doing is continuing creation mm-hmm. with our words and our actions, yep. that what you're what you're doing in a way is accepting the premise that I continue to beat you over the head with, that there maybe isn't such a difference between God the Creator and Josh the Creator. Mm. There might not be such a difference there when you say we're co-creators mm-hmm. and I say we're all God. You and I are talking the same language. Sure. Sure. Well, when if you get human to human and don't worry about what you're saying have to represent some universal truth, you start to pay attention to the fact that we really are all believing and agreeing in the same way. It's just a lot of people are completely uncomfortable with having the conversations, and that's what I would find in the church, even though I go every Sunday and pray and all the other stuff. it's It doesn't take away from that experience and the importance of it and the realness that I have in it. To me, to a certain level, it just becomes semantics. It really does, because I've had the same thoughts. Hmm. Even after being a Christian, I've had the same thoughts that you're even having. I got this image in my head when you were talking about going to church and the people that aren't willing to go to this level to even even open their mind to it. Mm-hmm. And the image was um, a, a whole bunch of sheep walking through a meadow. Mm-hmm. Those, are, those are the sheeple that you refer to. And then there was, yeah. there's one black wolf amongst the sheeple. Mm-hmm. And I think that's you, bud. I would agree. The guided tour well, to the dark chambers of that's our one unconscious. But it's that's wrong. More <laughs> still to the most important and unsettled question. That's what, so weird. So the whole time we've been talking, I'm just trying to end the podcast. The yeah. whole time we've been talking, that intro, mm-hmm. I turned the I turned the volume way down. The intro kept, was playing the whole time. So when I tried, to, really? when I just now oh, tried no. to play the outro, they were both playing. Oh no! And I can't figure out how to turn it off. So with that, I'm going to play. You know what? I'm not going to play nothing. I'm going to say good goodbye. Good luck. And good night.